0: Rich Girl Roundup. Woo! Yeah, love it! How much would you say that you have saved or deferred via these two accounts away from your tax burden?
1: Probably like eighty thousand dollars.
0: Oh my god.
1: Damn. Welcome back, Rich Girls and Boys, to the Rich Girl Roundup weekly discussion of the Money with Katie show. I'm your host, as always, Katie Gaudi-Tossan, and every Monday morning, Hannah and I dig into an interesting money discussion. Here is a quick message from the sponsors of this segment. Okay, so this week's upcoming main episode is about the history of the 9 to 5 Workday, if a four day work week is a feasible option economically, and the issues of Americans not taking their vacation time. On to the roundup. Henna, how are we doing today?
0: I'm great. I'm excited for that episode because I think it was made for me. But this week's question is a case study of sorts and one I can also relate to. So, The question is, how does having two sources of income affect your tax burden? And is there a better way to optimize or minimize what you'll owe? So as usual, I'll throw in our disclaimer. We are not licensed financial professionals. This is not financial advice. Please do your own due diligence with a CFP or a CPA. This is just how we would approach it. So Katie, for our full timers and side hustlers, myself included, how do you think about this?
1: Okay, full-timers, side hustlers gather round the fire. We will casually refer to this often as the W-2 and 1099 life because these are the tax forms that are typically associated with how your full-time income is reported and how your freelancer or side hustle or self-employment wages are reported reported. Now, the key difference is that taxes are taken out of a W-2 job, typically, but usually not going to be taken out of the 1099 income, although I guess I would add that in this uh, remote work paradigm – There might be people listening that have two W-2 sources of income or more than two W-2 sources of income. Maybe they got three full-time. I mean, I don't know what y'all are working with, but for the sake of our discussion today, we are going to be kind of focusing on the pairing of the W-2
0: and the 1099. You didn't know that I have three W-2 forms this year? It wouldn't surprise me. Oh, wow. That's kind of harsh. (laughs) Okay. Well, I can test that, you know, I've gotten the huge tax bill that was partially impacted by having a side hustle that my taxes were not taken out of. But my CPA at the time eventually said that for future years, I could consider paying quarterly taxes to be safe. So is that something that you would recommend for our 1099 folks?
1: In my experience, maybe, but probably not. So there are a couple things to think about here. The first is, I guess, if you don't mind paying a tax bill in April and you're just concerned about penalties – You would want to know if enough of your income tax liability is being paid by the W-2 income. You know how the IRS is. They love the if this or this and that style logic statements that take a master's degree to understand. (laughs) But the breakdown is you pay at least 90% of the tax that you owe for the current year or 100% of the tax you owed for the previous year. Or you owe less than a thousand dollars in tax after subtracting all your withholdings and credits or whatnot. So I can
0: tell that there's just gonna be a but wait, there's more. As there if that's is not more. Confusing yeah so enough.
1: I guess to recap you have to be paying at least 90% of the tax you owe for the current year or 100% of the tax you owe for the previous year, unless you make more than if your adjusted gross income on your previous year's return is over $150,000 or I guess 75k if you're married filing separately. You have to pay the lower of 90% of the tax shown on the current year's return or 110% of the tax shown on the return for the previous year. So, for example, this year, I think in my W-2 1099 situation, I'm not sure if we'll have paid 110% of last year's tax liability by the end of the year, but I'm pretty confident we'll have paid 90% of what we owe this year. So I think we should be in the clear again.
0: Oh, I'm the opposite. The year that it happened to me, we had paid 110%, but we're not under the 90%. So those are the underpayment penalties that you would just have to pay in come April, right? Or whenever you file your taxes for the year. So
1: yes, you avoid you avoid a penalty if those things are true for you. And as long as enough quote-unquote enough, whether that's calculated by the 100 or 110 percent of the year prior or 90 percent of the current year. Like As long as enough is being paid through your W-2 wages, you won't face underpayment penalties. You'll just have to pay what you owe in April. But like if you're really just trying to avoid having to settle up in April, you can always just increase your withholding at your W-2 job so more taxes withheld there. And I would say that's probably easier than filing quarterly returns separately because the IRS... They're looking at like all the income that you're earning as just one big pot of money. So they don't really care if the taxes for the 1099 income is being paid out of the W-2 job. They just want to make sure that overall
0: you are paying what you owe. Gotcha. So maybe there's people who just want to plan for the tax season ahead of time. Uh, Flashback to me in November three years ago being like, wait, taxes. Um, So how does the self-employment tax work for those who are unfamiliar? Because it must be different, obviously, than if you are fully self-employed, since this conversation is for people who have both a W-2 and 1099.
1: Yes and no. It's different for some people that have
0: both. (laughs) Oh, here we go.
1: Um, Okay. I remember when I was debating whether I should get an LLC, and I had this idea that like having an LLC was going to give me a bunch of tax breaks, and then I was doing more research, and I was like, wait a second, I have to pay another 15.3% on my self-employment income that goes through my LLC? I'm like, wait, this is just increasing my tax liability. This isn't helping me pay any less, but- (laughs) The TLDR is that if you look at your W 2 income, if you were to look at your paycheck, you'll see the FICA payroll taxes line item. And it's a 7.65% payroll tax that you owe. And the funny part is that your employer also owes 7.65%. So you, you and your employer with your W-2 income are basically splitting that liability. But if you're a 1099 worker, you are the employer and the employee. So guess what? You owe the whole 15.3%. So that's what the self-employment tax is. of it is Social Security, and 2.9% of it is Medicare. So Medicare, there's no income above which Medicare tops out. Like, you have to pay that 2.9% on your entire income, but Social Security has, like, a top-off point. So if your W-2 wages, you know, and this is by person, not by couple, so each person has to pay up, up to 160 k or so in income for Social Security, then if all of that is covered through your W-2 wages, then your self-employment tax on any income above 160 k is going to be drastically lower because you're just paying for the Medicare portion. But, if you earn less, or let's say you make a hundred in your w two and then sixty k in your ten ninety nine, you would owe the full fifteen point three percent on that whole sixty k. It's just like some people that have high incomes in their jobs end up paying for their entire
0: social security liability. Gotcha. ok. I don't know if you ever watched Friends, but Rachel goes and gets her first job after not having one as an adult, and she gets her first paycheck, and then she opens it and says, who the hell is Fiken? Why is he stealing all of my money? And that's how I feel about this. So, okay. So one thing you had recommended to me earlier to help minimize my tax burden was a solo 401k, but I think I needed like an EIN to do that. And I didn't know if I wanted to get into all that. So could you share how that might work and be beneficial for people who are ready to make that move and want to minimize their tax burden?
1: Yeah, I think, I'm not sure if this is how the IRS would describe it, but I think of an EIN number, like a social security number for a business. And so typically this kind of goes hand in hand with getting an establishing yourself as an LLC and like registering your business. I guess you wouldn't technically have to. You can apply for an EIN number for free online, but it does sound from the reading that I've done that typically they recommend that you form an LLC before you get an EIN number. So something to consider. I think if you are serious about tax savings and you want to open a solo 401k, your tax savings in year one will probably more than cover the costs of your business formation. At least in my experience, it's very, very hard to open business checking accounts and business credit cards and impossible to open something like a solo 401k If you don't have an EIN number, it's not against the law to use like a business credit card. If you do end up getting one without one, it's not against the law to put personal expenses on it, but like it is against the terms of service for the card. So it's up to you how much of a risk you're willing to take with like breaking the rules of the card member agreement. But yes, typically if you wanted to open a a solo 401k, you're going to need an EIN, and if you are going to be running this 1099 operation, you might just want to have one anyway. That you, that way you can have separate accounts and stuff for that business income, and you can kind of run it as like a separation of church and state from your personal side and your, your business side. And obviously, if you have expenses against that business too, you want to be able to write those off. If you're buying a computer, or you have to outfit an office, or you have to travel for your 1099 99 work. Like there are a lot of things that kind of opens you up to, and it can be helpful to legitimize that.
0: Good for the audience to know. So you built money with Katie. And then I think you said maybe when you started selling your wealth planner and you realized you were getting thousands of dollars in sales, you said, okay, I got to make this an LLC, protect myself, register. And I think the state of Delaware, you said, so you then finally got your SEP IRA or solo 401k or both. How did that work? Yeah, well,
1: I started with the SEP IRA because it was easier to open, did not require an EIN to back up a step. I wanted to get those accounts because I wanted to defer some of the business income that I was making and save and invest it for the future. It was money that I was going to invest anyway. So I was like, how can I invest this in a way where it's also going to lower my tax burden? So. SEP IRA is how I started. Then I switched to a solo 401k because I felt like it gave me a little more flexibility. So the solo 401k rules, if you already have and contribute to a 401k at work, which is the situation that most people in this W2 1099 world are in, is they probably already have a 401k at their job that they're putting money into. The rules are a little tricky, so I'm going to do my best to, to not explain this in a way that's like Professor with the elbow patches, eyes glazing over. So the overall limit for your 401k contributions are based on source of income. So you can have two 401ks, one is for your 1099 work and one is at your job. So great, great. That opens us up to a a lot. However, part of the complication is that that $22,500 elective employee deferral that we're all familiar with, that's by person, not by source of income. So you are only allowed to, as an employee, contribute that $22,500 in 2023, and I believe it's going up to 23000 in 2024. You can only do that in one of these 401ks. And so typically what people will do is they'll max out their 401k at their W-2 job as the employee. Then they'll make employer contributions to their solo 401k, their 401k that's based on their business. And employers can contribute up to 25%. At the end, it ends up working out to around 20% of your net business income as the employer of yourself. And so when you're going through the solo 401k contribution flow, it will ask you, at least on Vanguard, it does, are you making a contribution as an employee or as an employer? And it's very important that you choose employer if you are already maxing out your employee contributions at work. And the limit for 2023 is up to $66,000. I would work with a tax advisor, a CPA, someone like that to calculate the right amount for yourself if you're not comfortable doing the like, mental math that the irs gives you but that you could theoretically go okay i'm going to put in 225 at work uh as my elective employee deferral and then i'm going to turn around and oh what do you know my business made 500k in net income yay all right then i'm going to go ahead and put in all 66,000 in my solo 401k and it's all employer contributions and that would be totally fine
0: girl what are you doing with 500 grand and then you're still working a w-2 damn yeah there you go Okay, so that makes sense if you're covered at work. What if you are not covered at work?
1: Yes, so if you're not covered at work, you could... This is where the solo 401k like really shines, I think, is that over the SEP IRA, that is, because you could... I'm not going to say no matter how much your business is making, because it's, it's not no matter how much you would need to be making at least as much as you're putting in, but you could make 50k in your 1099 and you could contribute 22500 as the employee and then calculate your remaining 20% employer match for yourself, whatever, based on what's left over. So it allows you to put in more than if you had a SEP IRA.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So then how does the SEP IRA work?
1: The SEP IRA is basically like someone that's already contributing, we'll say, at their job to a 401k for them. The SEP IRA and Solo 401k, no matter which one they pick, are going to kind of function the same way because both say you can put in 20% of your net business income as the employer. Like, that's the only thing that you can do. The SEP IRA does not have this, like, employee contribution option. So someone that doesn't have that 401k at work, someone that's only got their retirement account through their 1099 work they are going to be able to put away a lot more with that solo 401k that's giving them that 22.5 employee elective deferral option. Mm
0: -hmm. The step
1: IRA is just saying, yo, you can put in 20% of your net business income. And if that's only $3,000, then it's only $3,000, right? You just get more room in the solo 401k if you don't have a 401k elsewhere. I would say just generally speaking, It kind of works the same way without the employee option. That's probably the easiest way to boil it down. There's no employee contribution option, and they tend to be easier to open. They tend to require less paperwork. They don't need an EIN number. They're like a lower lift. You can get them at a robo-advisor. So it's kind of like the lower commitment option, but like not without its drawbacks, I would say.
0: Can I add in caveat here? I believe we had spoken at one point about me doing this, but then it turned out if you had a SEP IRA, you couldn't then do a backdoor Roth conversion.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that is a great call out. The SEP IRA is considered a traditional IRA in the eyes of the IRS. They're looking at that. They're going, that's an IRA with pre-tax money in it. And as we know about backdoor Roth IRAs, If you are doing a back to a Roth IRA, you are making that conversion of post-tax dollars to Roth from a traditional to a Roth. You don't want a bunch of pre-tax money sitting around in an IRA because it's going to screw up the tax bill for you. So, yes, I would say that is a consideration. I guess though I would add that when it comes to income limits for Roth IRAs, remember that your income limit as a married couple, I think in 2023 it's 228k, but that's after contributions to things like 401k's. So, if you're contributing 30k between you to 401k's and your income is 2 240 or 250 and then you're wiping off 30k in pretext contribution you actually might not even need to do the backdoor Roth IRA so that is something that I would highlight as like depending on your situation it might not be the end of the world but it's absolutely something to be aware of if you are like a backdoor Roth IRA girly and that's part of your rich life, then be aware. Solo 401k does not have this issue because it's a 401k. I don't know why they care one way or the other.
0: So if you had to put a number on it, Katie, how much would you say that you have saved or deferred via these two accounts away from your tax burden?
1: Probably like $80,000. Oh my God. I've probably saved like twenty-five dollars or $30,000 in taxes using these accounts Oof. over the last couple years, which is like obviously very significant. I mean, that's amazing. They're good tools. They're good tools for sure. Okay, well, that is all for this week's Rich Girl Roundup. Obviously, we can't cover the entire tax code in 25 minutes, but uh, we tried, so... <laughs> we gave it the old college try and we'll see you on wednesday to talk about uh the american work ethic and why people with pto aren't taking it which is actually probably going to be super relevant for people who are listening to this episode who have multiple jobs
0: okay bye bye